Hey there, Powder Keg fans. This is episode 82 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today we'll be talking about how to build your team and create a vibrant company culture with three HR companies that are shaking up the way HR, recruiting, employee engagement is done. One of the things that we found when we did our tech census last year, over a thousand people in the tech community uh, were surveyed. And we found that the number one reason tech professionals chose to work at their company and the number one reason they actually chose to leave as well is the same thing. Uh, it's company culture and finding and keeping talent is the biggest challenge most tech companies between the coasts face. And really, every company is becoming a tech company. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's another interesting trend to uh, pay attention to. I have three guests here today. Uh, our first one is the president and co-founder of Analytically, Jana Fuelberth. Next up, we have vice president of analytics and machine learning at Canvas, Zach Linder. And finally, we have the president of Advisa, Heather Haas. Thank you all for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks Matt. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited uh, to dive into some, some topics here, but I thought maybe first we could get a little bit of background and understand how each of us kind of got into this industry. And Jenna, I'd love to start with you. Sure, Matt. Uh, and, and hear a little bit of your backstory of how did you find yourself working in this HR tech space? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my HR story starts uh, about uh, seven to eight years ago and uh, started actually in payroll sales. So uh, today, when you open up a Forbes or an Inc. or uh, you know a powder keg article, uh, what you typically see are these headlines about attracting and retaining top talent and how that's really your competitive advantage. So I really started on the absolute, you know, kind of other side of that, which is paying people and payroll compliance. It's a pretty important thing to yeah, make I mean, sure happens at a company. When it comes to engagement, <laughs> I think that that's really where it starts with, but then there's a lot of things that you can build off of that. So so started uh, at a company where we were selling, servicing, and implementing 13 different platforms, ADP, Paychex, Ceridian, Kronos, Infinisource, you name it. So it was a really great go-to-market model where you could match a company with what was best used for them. Mm. Um, you would think that I would be able to say, yes, Yes, more often. And so here's how uh, a payroll sales rep kind of stumbles into what is now uh, a body of work and knowledge that a lot of people are passionate about, which is workforce analytics. Because even with all the best payroll and HR systems and technologies kind of in our toolkit, what we started seeing and hearing from our you know, couple hundred customers was, I really need to understand how my people and my people data and information is driving business results. Mm -hmm. So there would be times when customers would be asking for data from their finance, point of sale systems, integrated with payroll and HR data. So we started saying yes and yes and yes to our customers. And what we realized is that uh, really there wasn't this kind of uh, product or solution that could make it easier for employers of any size. So think about employers that have 50 to 3,000 employees, not you know Fortune 1,000 organizations. And you know I strongly believe that the best innovation comes from customer empathy. And with a couple hundred customers kind of telling us that this was a good space to be in about two and a half years ago, we made the jump 
and uh, decided to really focus our efforts into launching Analytically, which is a workforce analytics company. Well, was that a tough decision for you personally, going from something you knew and was structured and very known? Uh, was that something that naturally you gravitated towards, the unknown and something new? Or uh, was this a little bit of a leap of faith? Well, I think t to some degree, I, I'm an analytical person naturally, but I had you know over 350 groups that were kind of telling us that this was a space that we needed to focus in. And and uh, I'm actually a non-technical co-founder of a of a of a SaaS company. So so I've I've kind of in my mind bucketed out you know types of founders, and I would say. I'm the epitome of the product market fit co-founder. And so I am um, obsessed with listening to a customer and listening to a market and trying to find the right solution for that. So, so yes, there's always risk involved, but it just felt so natural in really paying kind of homage and respect to the customers and what they were saying. And then the great thing uh, was that it wasn't just customers saying that, the market's really there for it too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Want to give a little bit of uh, perspective of where you are now on the scale of anal analytically? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, two and a half years ago, uh, we started uh, uh, finding beta customers with a blank sheet of white paper with some some PDFs and then small visuals and graphs. That's where and, all great startups right, start. Right, right. <laughs> and and, um, and uh, fast forward to today, uh, about the time where I was holding up my PDF, uh, Kronos Incorporated caught wind of what we were doing and really embraced uh, uh, our notion and understanding of where the market was going. So while we integrate with a lot of different solutions, Kronos was kind of the first big partner to give us their stamp of approval. So uh, two and a half years later, uh, out of beta, out of early adopter, uh, just shy of, uh, of 100 customers and uh, 25 members of our team, uh, not only here in Indianapolis, but uh, uh, a couple on the coasts as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Congrats yeah. on all the growth. Thanks. Thanks. Um, well, and you, you mentioned being the non-technical founder. Um, we've got someone technical here in the room, uh, and that's Zach, who uh, leads up all things. Uh, well, and I, I don't want to minimize what you do because I know you touch a lot. Zach, you mind maybe sharing how you got into what you're doing at Canvas? Yeah, absolutely. So. I think uh, kind of a similar story for us, and uh, so the roots of Canvas come from um, we didn't really desire or, or have the, the plan to end up in HR. It's just uh, we were all at Apparatus previously, and uh, we went from, let's say, 50 to 250 people in the course of a couple of years, and so we had to deal with how do you scale people, right? We were a consulting firm, and we needed lots of not only good but great people, and that's really hard to find. And what we found is that not only is it hard to run and build a consulting firm, but it's really hard to keep and, and maintain those awesome mm -hmm. people. So um, we, we, we focused on building great solutions for our customers, but we realized there wasn't a great way to reach out to candidates. So uh, we are still using paper resumes, we are calling them, and no part of that felt good. Uh, there's no record really of, of any of this. And so after, uh, after uh, the acquisition of Apparatus, we were thinking, uh, what could we do? What, what's next? And uh, this just kind of fell in fell in our laps as far as um, what's a good way to scale an organization and what are the tools that we can use to build that? And we knew how to build tools. We knew how to scale organizations. So we put the two together and that's that's the birth of Canvas. What was the big aha for, for you? Because I know you, yeah. you started out looking at all the pain points, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I, I don't think, I don't know that there was an aha moment as much as 
when we finally launched in uh, in June of 2017 and and people were actually using the service, we got picked up, right? Uh, the Wall Street Journal picked us up, CNBC picked us up, and people started saying, this is awesome. We love this. And we thought, well, that's great. Let's keep doing it. So uh, we thought it could have been a short ride, but it ended up uh, lasting a lot longer than... Uh, than, uh, than we uh, potentially could have expected. So super excited about that. And now here we are uh, a couple years down the road. We've got uh, almost uh, a couple hundred customers. We've got uh, people who just love texting. They, they, a lot of recruiters are telling us they're, they're not really picking up the phone anymore. It's just all yeah. texting. Talk to me a little bit about what, what the experience is like uh, from a product standpoint if you're using Canvas as a customer. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so as a recruiter, I, uh, if I'm thinking about the traditional world where I'm gonna pick up the phone, uh, I'm going to spend 15 minutes on a phone screen, right? So it's basic math. How many of these can you get done a day? Mm -hmm. um, you can send out emails, but you don't get great response rates with emails. So uh, what's an another alternative? And text messaging just so happens to be the way, right? So uh, that's what we pride ourselves on. We're a text-based text interviewing platform. Uh, but think about all the positives of, of text. It's uh, asynchronous, meaning uh, you don't have to be online at the same time. You can uh, text back and forth at your own convenience. Uh, you can text multiple people at a time, right? So you can be maintaining 10, 20, 50 interviews at, at once. You can blast email. Uh, you can blast uh, text in a very similar way, right? But your blast texts get a way better response rate than those blasts of, of email. So um, as a customer, I'm going to plan out my day. I want to I want to find these individuals. I want to uh, identify who's a great fit for this particular job. And then I'm going to blast them all with a text. I'm going to send them all a one-to-one -one individual message. I can put them through an automated text screen. And then at the end of the day, what, I, what do I want? I want to reduce my time to fill. And I want to reduce my time that I'm spending uh, on unnecessary tasks. And texting allows us to build that automation capability, build that workflow capability that allows me to plan more of my day, less of spending, spending time on uh, 15 minute phone calls that uh, may or may not yield a uh, fantastic candidate. See, that's why I didn't want to say that you're in machine learning or anything like that because you clearly could sell a product too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. yeah we're a small startup. We have to do every role. <laughs> I love it. Well, and recent news, uh, well, relatively recent news, Canvas was acquired by Jobvite. Yeah, I think that's the best product validation that you can have. We had this great product uh, partner in Jobvite and uh, they have a fantastic product and they didn't have a really good messaging platform in the form of texting. And they, they knew that this is where the, the market was going. And so even before acquisition, we were close partners with them, had a great relationship, picked up tons of clients from them. It's a really easy sell to existing uh, clients. So they're in the, they're an ATS and uh, an, an applicant tracking system. And uh, so a lot of their clients, it was just an easy sell. It's just, hey, do you want texting now? Canvas integrates. And that partnership quickly turned into uh, you know an acquisition target, and, and that's that's fantastic news for us. And now we've uh, grown since then about sixty percent of our team, uh, we're sixty percent bigger. We've now got our second office, and uh, we're Glad hoping to share this floor with you. Exactly, exactly, right down the hall. <laughs> but uh, and looking to continue to grow uh, in in every area of the business. That's awesome, man. Congrats on thank that you. Growth. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you're seeing. A lot too, because I know Canvas was one of four companies acquired at the same time by Jobvite. Exactly. And there's a whole ecosystem there of technology that I'm sure you're learning a lot from. It is. You know, this is the, the fantastic problem that we've got, right? We've got four fantastic companies and uh, four fantastic roadmaps. And now how do we combine them all together? And I think one thing that uh, we've really ex excelled at in Canvas is how do we build something quickly uh, and get it out and get it in the market. We, we've No cycle has lasted more than a couple of weeks for us. In fact, we've got this fantastic new drip feature that's coming out this uh, 
this next week that uh, we're super excited about. But how do we kind of take that uh, very lean uh, engineering cycle and get that into all the other products yeah. and, uh, and make sure that the Canvas platform extends across all four of these fantastic companies? Absolutely. That's awesome, man. And I would love to dive in maybe uh, some of the perspective you've gained from having all of those different uh, views into the industry. Yeah, um, absolutely. But first, I'd love, Heather, to, to get some of your perspective on this. I, I really look at you as like someone that's looking at everything because I know you use a lot of technology, use a lot of tools and data. We're su super happy to be partnered with you at Powder Keg. Likewise. Um, I've taken my predictive index. Excellent. Uh, and so has the rest of my team. And I think we've got a meeting next week uh, to, to go through some of those results. But would you mind maybe uh, sharing for those that haven't heard of Advisa, uh, how you came to, to be at Advisa and, and really grow this uh, agency? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is a bit unusual in that I was a teacher and a principal prior to getting into the business world. So was really focused on helping people reach their potential when I was in that environment um, and passionate about how leadership had the power to transform a school environment. And it was actually through taking the predictive index and having somebody sit down with me and walk me through my personality and how I'm wired, where I started to think beyond education. And um, my path actually out of education was right into Advisa. Wow. I was, yeah, I was really so um, amazed by the data into my motivating needs uh, that I learned uh, through the predictive index that I jumped over and started uh, training. I was training leaders and managers across all industries for a lot of years before the opportunity for me to step into the leadership role opened up. Um, but it's amazing. The work that we do now is we work with about 350 companies across all industries who all have the same challenge, which is they have a business strategy that they put in place at the beginning of the year, and they have metrics that they're looking to hit at the end of the year, and each leader is trying to figure out how do we optimize the talent in between to actually help us get where we're trying to go more profitably and more successfully. So Advisa is focused on helping leaders do exactly that, optimize their talent. Well, and we have so many companies in the powder keg community that are partnered up with you yeah. and just rave about what you're doing. So I'm, I'm super excited to be working with you. Yeah, likewise. Um, out of the, the two startup pit, you know, stories that you've heard here, um, how, do the, how do those kind of fit into some of the trends that you're seeing working with all of these companies? Yeah, I think one of the most significant things that we see, especially in the startup community and scale-up community, is as you're growing and as you get momentum, you need people. And um, as you grow in the number of people that you have, people often overlook it, but you need managers. You, you need the next level and even the mid-level folks who know how to engage and optimize the talent of those folks. So figuring out how to develop frontline leaders, mid-level leaders is actually a huge challenge mm -hmm. that we're seeing across the board, not just with growing startups, but actually every company you've got... Um, demographics that have 10,000 boomers exiting the workforce every day. And um, what that means is there just aren't enough leaders who are really ready or have the skills um, to really step in and, and be able to take people on their teams, put together the right teams, manage people in a way that gets optimum performance. So that leadership development um, challenge is really very, very universal from our perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Jenna, how are our leaders currently using Analytically? And when they're looking at their 
their team analytics. Um, what are some of the key insights that they're taking away from the platform? Oh, absolutely. So it, it really depends in the type of work that an organization is doing. So one of our customers uh, is a not-for-profit that has multiple locations. And uh, the way that they've used it to really understand team dynamics is you can tell a lot about how engaged an employee is at work based on if they're showing up on time, mm. if they're productive while they're at work, how long they stay in a role, do they move around location to location. So in, in one of our use cases, we were actually able to identify not the kind of general you know, hey, we need help in manager development, but more of these three managers need help in manager development. Um, a lot of times too, to piggyback off of what Heather was saying is uh, generations in the workforce is and always will be a conversation for anybody in, in the talent space. And not only do we have a new generation of leaders and managers, but we have a new generation of leaders and managers who are more likely to manage people in elder generations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you take a millennial and how do you have them manage boomers or a Gen X manage a boomer or a boomer, uh, you know, in the reverse, uh, manage a millennial. So a lot of times we do some generations in the workplace uh, myth busting, you know, because millennials actually aren't turning over as fast as baby boomers and they are just as committed. It just might not feel that way <laughs> right but uh, some some key themes in ways that you know there's there's data and then there's the information and insight you can pull from it very cool the the, the kinds of data that you're pulling at advisa Heather um, what are some of those uh, sort of tried and true tools like for instance I know we just took the predictive index yeah um, how are you using that kind of information from a even just when someone's coming onto the team standpoint understanding how they're gonna fit into the culture Absolutely. So um, the predictive index includes both a behavioral and a cognitive assessment. Um, the behavioral assessment is powerful in that it provides insight into how someone is motivated. So if you think about that from a job fit perspective, part of what you're able to do is benchmark the cognitive and behavioral requirements in a job independent of people. So you use that insight to match the right people uh, to the right roles, and then once you have that information, you can pull that through into onboarding um, and ensuring that onboarding experiences are really meeting the needs of the individual employee. You can pull that through into um, team integration. So adding a new member of the team changes the dynamics. So how do you put that information about how people are wired, often differently from each other, how do you put that information into the hands of the manager and the team, the members of the team, to really use that and then couple that with training and, and skill building so that people actually know how to communicate effectively across the generations. Um, and you know, it's interesting as the rise of, of data, big data in the HR space, in every space, as you said, um, you know, every company is a technology company these days. But what we notice in that is as managers and people in general have to use data more effectively to make decisions and interact, um, sometimes they over rely on the data. So the importance of the soft skills and the importance of being able to still give feedback and have a conversation and um, display empathy during challenging times, that's really that leadership development piece that when you couple that with the good use of data and analytics, I think that's where we're seeing um, a lot of our clients start to have a competitive edge. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and from the data standpoint, I know that's kind of squarely where you're focused, uh, Zach, at, yep, absolutely. at Canvas. And the fact that every all the communication is literally in text, which yeah. I'm sure is searchable and measurable. Absolutely. What are, what are some of the pieces of data that you've pulled that are really empowering the recruiters? Yeah, so um, if you think about how a conversation goes, a lot of times uh, you, you would like to think that it's pretty unique, but in reality, it, it's pretty standard. And, uh, and it might not be standard across the board, but it's pretty standard to you. You're going to use the same language, the same terms, the same phrases, and those show up again and again. So what we've been doing is, um, because we've got all this great messaging, right? So we've got uh, millions of pieces of content, and we can mine through that and understand what are the what is the content and context of each of these messages? What are the topics and categories that are coming up again and again? So if you just think about how do I take not only what has been said globally, but what's been said locally to you and using your voice and your language to be able to recreate yourself, right, almost. So when we're providing recommendations, it's not just those recommendations that uh, someone else has said at some point in time. It's, it's using your voice, your tone to make it uh, feel like that, that much softer of a bot, right? So it's still a bot-like experience. It's a workflow experience, but it's one that still has the, the makeup and look and feel of your own voice and your own language. So uh, lots of interesting things, right? Uh, uh, we have, we've had millions and millions of interviews uh, across uh, uh, all the companies uh, in the last couple of years, right? Just if you think about locally and how much of that has been documented, right? Very, very little. Yeah. And uh, we've documented every single conversation that we've ever had. And so now we're able to take that documentation and, and understand what is the process? What's the pattern? What does a standard flow look like? So when someone comes in from a, from a career fair and then ends up going through uh, an interviewing process and then an onboarding process and then uh, uh, first couple of weeks of employee engagement, what is that process? And what can we do to make that better? What can we do to, to find who are the ones that are really successful each step of the, of the process? Who are the ones that are getting that really good response rate? Who are the ones that are really engaging with each of those customers and those candidates? Mm. And then how can we take that and turn that into a more effective uh, overall solution beginning to end? Any uh, big insights or uh, secrets you've uncovered? Uh, uh, share with the powder keg listeners? Yeah, no, let's... Uh, so I think... Um, one thing is it's uh, way easier to end a conversation via text than it is on a phone call, right? Mm. So if you think about time saving, um, it's hard to get off of a phone call. The, the person on the other end of the phone, they, they want a job, right? And, and they want to talk to you and they're going to keep you on the line. If you're texting with somebody, that's, a, that's an easier thing to do, right? Yeah. And so if you're thinking from time saving, that's, that's definitely uh, a way to do that. I think um, some other interesting stats are just the text response rates. We've got uh, we're not sure how we, this uh, particular uh, customer of ours, over 600 messages and, or 600 candidates, I'm sorry, and a 94% response rate. Wow. So I don't have 600 friends, but if I had 600 friends and <laughs> sent them all a text, I would not get a 94% response rate. So uh, I think the, the most exciting thing for us is just the, the amount of people that are engaging uh, via text back with our customers. Yeah, I'd be very interested in knowing what that initial text was that got that response. Right, I'm sure it wasn't sup. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> it's it, it was a little a little more in depth than that, and uh, and uh, but yet very effective, right? Yeah. And, and so that that's the key. How do you how do you hone that message and, and measure it over time? And if you're using that exact same message again and again, then you can really get some good stats on that. Yeah, absolutely. And Heather, I'm sure a lot of what you work with well, with these companies is is a little bit of like the messaging and how you communicate, not just with the team but with potential uh, new team members. Absolutely. So with the job assessment and benchmarking, um, 
behaviors for certain jobs, that process really produces kind of a, a roadmap or a, or a list of kind of hot buttons that you might want to push as you're recruiting, reaching out to attract the right kind of candidate. Um, you know, one of the interesting statistics that we found in our engagement research is that 59% of the difference in engagement scores um, across companies, across individuals has to do with job fit. So part of job fit is, in fact, finding the people who have the right background, skills, experience to do the job. But we all know after you bring somebody on board, you start to really see job fit more as how do they fit in with the team and how are they behaving? I mean, yeah, they're hitting their number, but I wish they were a little more, a little smoother in their communication. So those nuances, um, that's what the predictive index data will bring to that job fit process and really being able to recruit and market a position using words and phrases that are most likely to attract exactly the kind of person who is motivated by the environment and the kind of work that they would be doing in that job. So we're all wired up a little differently in that way, but that's, that's a nuance I think that PI brings that's pretty powerful um, when you're using that in terms of how you market and reach out. I imagine that um, particularly talking with startups and high growth tech companies where there's just more open roles than there are candidates in the market right now that it might be kind of hard to get them to see that paradigm shift of you're not looking for just anyone that will fill this role uh, when, it, when it might feel like a little bit of a scarcity mentality out there when you're looking at talent. How do you talk to them and uh, how do you talk to companies to make sure they understand why it's important to have the right, more important to have the right person than to just have a person fill this role right away? Yeah, usually the people's ears really perk up after they've been burned on the backside of settling for anybody um, only to have that not work out. So the, the cost of turnover, and especially in a startup environment where every single person counts and everybody's time is so important to the team hitting their goals. So unfortunately, sometimes um, our, our clients learn through the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that's really important, too, that we help our leaders think about is that in the same way that you're marketing to fill a job, you also need to be marketing your culture. Mm -hmm. So candidates today are really looking to do meaningful work, and they're looking to join organizations that are inspiring and where their needs are met. And so we do a lot of coaching around how do you design an intentional culture that is going to help you more quickly achieve your business goals and is going to connect with the right kind of people who are going to come in. It's going to feel right for you, for them, and the fit will be there from day one. That's so awesome. Yeah, I, I know for a fact in the tech industry that uh, replacement cost uh, of a role is anywhere between 50 to 250% huge. of their salary. Yeah. Um, which is, is just crazy. And then you talk about a startup, like that's you might be dead. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like there isn't time for a lot of that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and Jana, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you don't have like exact access into all of your customers' data analytically, but I'm sure you talk to them a lot, and and they're looking at their data. Are there any kind of like big takeaways that you've seen that that sort of um, are, are sort of ahas and like maybe leading indicators of trends 
in, in talent and hiring? Absolutely. I think you, you made a comment about scarcity mentality. Mm. And many of the organizations that we're working with are highly transactional, hourly focused workers. So uh, kind of compare analytically typical software startup crew, right? A lot of software engineers and sales folks and marketing and customer experience folks, but working in these, uh, you know, manufacturing, distribution, healthcare, hospitality, very hourly workers. I mean, I watch the jobs report every single month to see how, how, how good or bad or how easy or hard or harder it's going to be for our customers to find great talent. I yeah. mean, 3.8% unemployment last month and 169,000 new jobs added. So basically that's what we're saying there is there's less people looking for work and more people needed. Mm -hmm. So especially in to, to Heather's point, uh, I think that not only are uh, you know knowledge workers but then also operationally intensive work work oriented organizations are, are learning very quickly the value of doing an, a recruitment and onboarding process correctly. Um, because uh, the, the more the turnover happens, the more that the production line shuts down or the patients aren't taken care of or a good or service isn't delivered. And I think we're gonna see this more and more as unemployment continues to stay low and uh, more operationally intensive jobs are created. I mean, I think that you can also see the headlines about, uh, you know, how much of our how much of our day-to-day -day operational business is going to be replaced by robots but at the same time in the cities and states that we're traveling to see customers i don't see robots replacing tons of people anytime soon but in the meantime really thinking about how we attract and retain all types of talent is just so crucial well and the, that that shift of uh, automation isn't just going to eliminate some jobs it's also going to create new jobs and mm -hmm. I, I think that goes back to that i mean that's a different perspective on the scarcity mentality when you're looking at it from the talent standpoint mm -hmm. um I, I love i love that you shared those metrics because it really does kind of show you know if you're a professional in it or or even an operational worker um there there is more demand than there the is the war on talent is real despite type of organization size of organization that you are yeah totally mm -hmm. and so just knowing that uh you can slow down and and say obviously there's the the reality of like you need to get paid in order to pay your bills mm -hmm. but at the same time if you're going to choose how you're going to spend your hours eight ten if you're a startup CEO, 16 hours a day. Um, <laughs> 17, 18 hours. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely not glorifying the, the amount of work, but uh, if you're gonna spend that much time, it may as well be doing something you love and mm -hmm. where you have a great culture fit. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious from a text message standpoint, if if there there is some things that uh, your recruiters are doing to determine that culture fit, um, or even if there are, are tools um, I, I know Amon, we had him on the show here uh, maybe a few dozen episodes ago, yeah. um, the CEO at Canvas. And uh, one of the features he was talking about that I was super excited about was uh, the ability to kind of strip out um, some of the, the things that might suggest what demographic you're a part of and yep. what, what your ethnographic background might be in order to create a more... Um, uh, 
unbiased. Unbiased. That's the word I'm looking yeah, yeah. for. So I'm gonna that, drink more yeah. of my tea here. Yeah, it's uh, it's how whether we want to or not, there's a lot of bias introduced into the system, right? And so there are so many keywords too that we just see every day that that you don't even realize that you're making inferences already on a particular candidate. So uh, we have this super awesome feature that uh, that we take a resume, we scan it, and we run it against multiple databases. We got some learning involved in there too, and uh, we strip out all those words that might introduce some bias. So uh, uh, anything like if you were to say something like softball or football that are traditionally either female or, or male uh, sports, or if you were to say that I was a member of a fraternity or sorority, or even a, a member of a, a church or some type of religious affiliation, how do we how do we find all those meaningful words that that mean a lot to that person? We don't want to strip it from the resume. We want to maintain its uh, presence there, but we also want to to de-identify that as much as possible. So when you get a stack of resumes put in front of you, you get to look at the what are those true qualifications and the core qualifications of the individual, not those uh, not those outliers that the person who's reading them. Uh, might not realize it, but but there's bias being built in your head, and and not that it's uh, done with uh, malice or uh, malintent. It's just that that's something that if we can level the playing ground, uh, we'd like to have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I, I love it. I love that your tool does that, and it makes me think of um, a question that I heard uh, recently um, that that made me kind of have the question of like, how do you kind of differentiate? It, it, it seems like especially at the early stage of a startup. Right, the 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 sort of urge to simplify culture as like, oh, like I could get along with this guy, like, and, and even just in saying that, like, there's inherent bias in saying like, I could get along with this guy, mm-hmm. like, I could see grabbing beers with this guy, I could see gra- like playing basketball with this guy, like he'd be a good culture fit because we get along, but that's not actually what culture is when you dig into the science of creating a great culture. How, how do you differentiate some of those like more sort of uh, and I would even say like human uh, urges to kind of say, well, well, I like this person, so therefore they're a good culture fit versus really taking a systematic approach. Uh, and I know this is a lot of what you have to do uh, at, at Advisa, um, Heather, so I'm, that's why I'm looking at you to, yeah. to lead this convo. But I, I'm sure uh, both of you, uh, Jana and Zach, will feel free to chime in anytime. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the things we like to kind of teach in some of our leadership development programming is that your core values can serve as the pillars of your culture. A lot of times people don't know where to begin to define um, an intentional culture. And so the fallback is, I just go with what I like. And, I, you know, it's, it's what you were describing. We, the culture becomes the manifestation of hanging out with people we like or working with people that we like. Whereas if you step back as a leader and say, what really matters about how we interact with our customers what hills are we going to die on here in terms of how our employees interact with one another? And you can actually help a leadership team distill some core values and then even get it to the point where those core values um, can get into behavioral terms. Now you have some objectivity around what is the culture? How do we define it? How do we recognize examples of people displaying these behaviors that align with our culture? Now you can start to design interview questions that tag back to the pillars of the culture rather than interviewing someone just to see if we fit or we like each other. It's really about fitting with what's important um, to the culture of the business. And that culture has been defined the way that it has because it's not only um, sort of the the way the leadership sees the company kind of evolving, but it's also anchored in the strategic plan. Mm. Your, Your culture 
kind of has a lot to do with what you're trying to accomplish as a business. I, um, I would hope so. Yeah, so you, you've got to sync those things up. But you'd be surprised, actually, how often we work with companies. They have a great strategic plan, but they haven't really been intentional about defining and aligning the culture to that plan. And so they've actually got a disconnect mm. between the culture that they're trying to create is at odds with some of the business strategies or metrics that they're trying to achieve. Yeah. So... It's funny that you started with values. Yeah. Uh, which is, as, as, as you were asking the question, Matt, I was thinking, yep, and then we asked this question around this value, and as we're on Can you maybe give me an example? Sure. So, so one of our values is acting like an owner. So, and having ownership. Uh, because uh, work-life balance is so important, and the care of the teammate is, is so important. Um, that said, we always want people to be thorough and intentional and leave something better than where they found it. And then also uh, be willing to do any task in any role within the organization. So we're always asking questions. Uh, we have you know, one that's a team, so that's really focused on you know, making sure that we're caring for one another and having that work-life balance. But ownership is more of you know, uh, how bought in are you? How committed are you to, to, to the group? And um, so I think values for sure have been really helpful in us kind of having a guiding light for our culture. Um, I also have to tell kind of a funny story. So, so my business partner and I, Corey, could not be, uh, and if any of our team actually listens to this, this is where they'll laugh, we could not be more different. I mean, literally, uh, we took an assessment when we started working together, and here's Corey, and here's Jana. <laughs> and Different the, ends of the spectrum. Right, and, and the practitioner looked at us and said, okay, so if you guys are really gonna do this, it's either that you're gonna be wildly successful or absolutely fail. Because <laughs> it, because he said the, the, the path to the wild success is the fact that you clearly share the same values, mm -hmm. but you're just so different where as you hire that will there will never be that bias of oh you're a lot like me and i'm jana so let's have a whole team worth of jana so there's always a a corey and a jana element to that so it's really kind of forced us to have a really nice diverse group of people and thought processes but uh uh, it, it, it makes business partnership fun too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I experienced a little bit of that myself at powder keg. Yeah. <laughs> Love um, you, Corey. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's very cool to see though. And, 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 uh, if you just take any sample set of, uh, successful startups, you usually do have that kind of like balancing yep. yin and yang for sure. Um, but of course at the end of the day, alignment on the values. Exactly. Everyone mm -hmm. needs to be kind of coming from the same place. The way that that shows up yeah. might look different. Yeah. yeah. Do, uh, do values play in at all and, uh, how, how you kind of thought through the, the text message, uh, first approach. Cause I, I imagine even just using text in general, is uh, potentially like filtering in some way. Yeah, I think uh, if you were to to think about you go to an interview or you talk to someone at a potential employer, what are you looking for? And uh, you, you might want to to feel that culture when you walk in the building. You might want to see a cool office space or uh, uh, some free drinks and snacks and things like that, right? What are the things you can just get with a glance? But it's also how did the process go? Did it feel very uh, jointed or was it very disjointed? 
what were the tools that they used? Did, did they have you fill out a form and fax it to somebody? Or did you, uh, uh, how, how did you You'd do your surprised. information collection? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but uh, that's, and that's what we're trying to, to facilitate with texting, right? It's, it's not only showing that this is a better way to meet your customers and candidates where they are, but how do you kind of move your company into uh, a different area and differentiate yourself? And if, if the candidate is comfortable, and, and not everyone is, but a lot are, uh, in fact, most are, but if they're comfortable with texting, that, that could be an indicator that this company is trying something new, they're trying something different, I wonder what else they're doing. And so uh, from that perspective, uh, texting really helps build that, uh, that cultural element from a, from a first perspective viewpoint on how this company might be something different and something that I should uh, really investigate. Yeah. I, I think it's really cool just to kind of think through that. And uh, I imagine you're just looking at all kinds of data. It um, is, you know, and uh, uh, one fun thing is uh, culturally is uh, one of our, our uh, easiest yet uh, most loved features was uh, bitmojis and emojis. So our, our customers love it. Like when, when we go out and, and uh, do a demo or uh, help them get implemented and they see the emoji keyboard, they love it. And they're sending emojis back and forth. And what a great way to not only express your interest in the candidate, but to let them know kind of what, what kind of environment this is, right? If you've got your own bitmoji that you're sharing and uh, the candidate's seeing that and they're responding back with their bitmojis or, or their different uh, emojis or icons or whatever it is that they're sharing back with us, uh, giphies, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, I, I think that that starts from the beginning a very fun uh, uh, work workplace experience. You know, one thing I could tag on there that's really interesting because we're in the space of understanding kind of personality differences. Um, there are some people who are very bright, very qualified, but they may not interview as well. They don't naturally bring the type of personality to sell themselves. What you're doing at Canvas in you know, reaching out initially through text and removing a lot of that bias actually allows more analytical, heads down, less socially oriented people to shine sooner in the process because you're able to really cut through mm -hmm. the relational elements of an interview, which is really important, but earlier in the process, it's, it's most important to figure out, A, am I reaching people who bring the kind of background and skills that we need? And then B, are we effectively and efficiently figuring out if they have the right stuff? Then as they progress through the process, I think that's where some of those more behavioral, relational fit type pieces come into play. But huge differences in terms of how personality impacts someone's ability to get the job, which is totally different than doing the job. Yeah, and I have a great uh, uh, use case on this. So I always like to uh, to recruit on behalf of our customers when, when they'll allow that to happen, just so that way we're using the tool and we, we understand how it works. But uh, uh, this particular role, we're looking for an IT individual and we narrowed it down to 10 candidates. We use Canvas, we narrowed it down to four very quickly via text. And then I'm, I'm doing a more in-depth text interview with each of the individuals. And uh, I liked them all, so we got them all on the the phone as the uh, the next step to go with the the in-depth interview with the uh, with the customer and one of the individuals who was actually my favorite was by far the worst uh, was the worst phone interview but he had by far the best text answers hmm. now he was slower in his responses but his responses were super thorough 
uh, grammatically perfect, which which could or could not be an indicator that you're looking for. But but he was very different in text than what he came off in that phone interview. If the phone interview would have been the first step, yep. he never would have made it to the next step. But because of that, he was able to make it through the process. And and we talk a lot about introverts versus extroverts and how this format gives somebody the ability to to take their time to to really think about that question and then respond to it in a way that uh, not everyone's quick on their feet and, and can't answer that same way on the phone. Yeah. Some interesting themes that we see in, in talent right now kind of almost battle one another. You see the theme of individualization, which means come greet me where I want to, how I want to, come to me. Uh, I want to pick a culture that fits me. But then concurrent to that, we're also looking about removing bias. So it's, it's, it's removing bias through the, through the selection process that's mutual, but then also coming to the user, which is the applicant or the employee, exactly where they want to be met. So I think it's, it's it, you made a comment about uh, big data finally coming to HR, and I would say yes, finally yeah. <laughs> coming to HR, because it feels like the business world has really woken up to, I mean, people are, are, are really the competitive advantage. Well, and uh, we all happen to share something in common, which is that we have some headquarters here in Indianapolis, uh, right in the middle of the country. And uh, I'm curious, uh, as we wrap up here, if, if there's maybe one interesting opportunity or challenge that you see in, in a maybe not even just Indianapolis but communities like Indianapolis that aren't uh, in in the Bay Area or aren't in New York City or one of these bigger cities in the country any uh, have you seen any trends or data from uh, your personal point of view so I was with a, I was with a customer yesterday and I won't name states um, but I, I will say that that Midwesterners get this reputation because by my previous business we were very hyper focused in Indiana alone, and then now with our channels we can get slingshotted to Alaska or Florida or you know kind of all over the the United States. And the one theme that I continue to hear, and I heard it again yesterday, is man, you guys in the Midwest care and we can't get you to quit working. So I so I think that 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 there's been, you know, kind of this uh, this this understanding of, you know, we really do need to put our best foot forward as a region and saying there's a lot of people that really care and are thorough and take ownership in their work, but then also uh, work really 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 hard. Yeah, I, I think actually it's more myth busting that we need to do related to right. some of the stereotypes that you get about, you know, companies in the Midwest. I completely agree with how you just described the perception of a, a Midwestern uh, kind of work ethic. Um, the other thing I think that's so incredible about Indianapolis is, or, or cities like Indianapolis, not on the coast, is that um, when young professionals come here, the access an influence that you have in a community like this to actually get to talk to the CEO or get involved in something in the community and actually have a voice. I mean, that, is, that isn't something you get in San Francisco or New York City necessarily. Indy is special in that not only do you have the, the caring, the traditional Midwestern values, the lower you know cost of living, um, but you also get the benefit of that you know, smaller feel and having having great access mm -hmm. and being able to be involved at a different level, I think, than if you're in a bigger market. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Anything to add, Zach? Yeah, I, I think this is a, you know, a, the Midwest is a fantastic place. I think we're executors and, and that's what we like and, and that's what we want to do and we want to work hard. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've also got great parking uh, in comparison <laughs> to lots of other places. Can't beat that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think uh, if you look at talent, not everybody has to go to Harvard, right? Not everybody has to go to MIT. You still have lots of amazing individuals that go to a lot of different universities. Uh, just like you don't have to be on the coast to, to go do something awesome and successful. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and obviously super passionate uh, about this and really grateful for all of you to join us uh, here on the show today. Uh, we do have an awesome event coming up uh, that is in Indianapolis, Indiana. If you're in the area or if you just want to visit the number one best airport in the country and fly <laughs> in for the event, uh, it will be May 1st uh, and it is an HR tech event and you can hear more about Canvas and Analytically there. And I'm sure we'll have lots of representation from Advisa as well. Absolutely. Uh, so very much looking forward to that. Of course, if you're interested, check it out at powderkeg.com slash events. And uh, for show notes and uh, more information on the companies you heard here today, check it out on powderkeg.com and navigate over to the podcast. And to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com slash iTunes. And we'll catch you next time on Powderkeg Igniting Startups.